Okay, let's knock it out. Here we go. Ooh, welcome to episode 331 of the, of the Design Details podcast. I don't even know what you, you said. stumbled a little bit. No, I stumbled because I was like, as I'm going through, I'm like, wait, what does he actually say? No, you're not even close. <laughs> Sit down, young Padawan. Let me teach you the ways of the intro. Uh, okay, here we go. Welcome to episode 331 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, got it right that time. Uh, I'm not so good at that. Yeah, it's okay. Um, You'll learn. You will improve your intro skills. And maybe someday you shall intro us. There you go. Yeah, we have a a division of duties. I've been meaning to mention this. So on Bonus Land, uh, that our patrons get to listen to on, on Patreon, a, a lore has been building, and one of the things that is developed is that on those episodes, you say bye oh, instead right, of right. me. Uh-huh. Like, so maybe on those episodes, I should do the whole, welcome to the episode. Okay, oh. yeah, yeah, we'll flip roll. Yeah, yeah. I love that we have settled into like this very clear groove of like exactly how the pacing and structure of the first couple minutes go every single time. <laughs> it's always the same. Yeah, except for this one, I fucked it yeah, up. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about some supporters. Yes, we are getting so close, Marshall, to 128. What's our number? I don't know the number. What are we at? We're at 123 this week. Oh, shit. It's going to happen next week, Brian. Yeah. Maybe even before January is out. Well, this episode will come out, let's see here, the 29th. Yeah, it could happen by the end of January. So if you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast on Patreon, and we uh, have some new supporters this week. So huge shout-outs to Rex Shee, Joe Thomas, Seth Richardson. Seth also uh, gave us a little tweet. Oh, yeah. He, he, he took it upon himself to tweet that he was a supporter, not just become a supporter. Yeah. So. Now a proud supporter of design details. And I see that you replied, welcome to the fam, you very important pixel you. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Seth. Uh, also, shout out to James Morgan, Alyssa B., Sergio Rovira, and Geetha Cartahali. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. Yes, thank you. If you aren't supporting it yet, just a buck a month, and that gets you access to the aforementioned bonus land, bonus land, bonus land episodes. Bonus I don't know that we're going to hit one for January, but we will d- end up having at least one, one per month, as well as you get a private uh, RSS feed with uh, sponsor-free episodes. So yeah, check that out, patreon.com slash design details. We really appreciate all of your support, and uh, we're excited for, for more bonus lands coming soon. Oh, yeah, and that merch. Oh, yeah, yeah. So when we hit 128, we're going to start working on some merch. So we're at 123 this week. Ah, it's possible, y'all. We can do this. I'm already thinking about it. Okay. We've also got support this week from Sisu. Sisu is looking for a thoughtful and data-savvy designer to help them build the next generation of analytics software. You can find out more at sisu.ai. That's S. S-I-S-U dot A-I. We're also supported this week by Flywheel. Flywheel is a delightfully designed managed WordPress hosting platform thoughtfully built for busy creatives. Streamline your workflow with their slick platform and sweet set of workflow tools perfectly made for designers. Get started at getflywheel.com slash design details. And finally, thank you to Pathrise. Pathrise is an online mentorship program that helps you land a great UX job. Previous fellows have been placed at Google, IBM, Atlassian, and other exciting companies. You can learn more at pathrise.com slash 
details. Alrighty, Daddy, let's get into it. Let's get into it. We got a few tweets, quick follow-up. All right, first tweet from Evangeline Ng. I'm going to paraphrase this just a tiny bit because it's in the context of a broader thread. But Evangeline says, uh, yeah, I loved the last episode about Twitter for designers. I'm super surprised by how open and welcome the design community on Twitter is. Mind blow emoji. Mind blow emoji, yeah. It's, it is. I feel like overwhelmingly positive community there are moments where it swings a little bit and then a couple folks who are maybe not but. yeah per capita i think we're we're a, a good positive welcoming gates open come on in kind of community yeah i hope so all right uh we also heard from craig van weechen who says thank you for this episode regarding uh, our last episode on twitter I'm new to navigating Twitter myself and have been looking for a nice guide. I think these tips are great for anyone, especially the note on positivity. Smiley face. <laughs> just throw. <laughs> you can say anything and just throw a smiley face at the end. It's like, oh, that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the last tweet is from Michael Woodruff, who you might remember from last episode, uh, uh, last follow-up, actually, where he suggested that we do a better job with the chapter markers, mainly that I do a better job with the naming of the chapter markers. <laughs> the the royal we. <laughs> yes, uh, we needed to do better. So Michael says, thanks for tweaking chapters and mentioning me in the podcast. It made his day. So hey. that's cool. Hey. Yeah, and, and I asked if it was a satisfactory implementation. He said, looking good, but he's still he'll still be watching. Uh, yeah, quick behind the scenes. Marshall sent me... Uh, <laughs> You sent me your first pass at like redoing the chapter markers and went way overboard. <laughs> There's like a chapter for basically every sentence on the podcast. Yeah, I wanted to make it so that there was a chapter for this particular tweet. So I had to do chapters for every tweet, which yeah. got a little bit crazy in the beginning. But uh, yeah, they're a little bit more expository in the in the things I said. So for example, with the listener questions, I made the chapter be the listener question. So you could see what it was and jump to it or skip it. Yeah, that's nice. Um, so hopefully that's useful. And I'll continue that pattern in the weeks to come. I might uh, actually. Uh, I might share that by the time this podcast comes out. Check our check our Twitter. I will have shared that screenshot that I sent to you, or maybe a slightly different one with fewer chapters in it. But it's just showing how much it takes editing wise to make us sound less dumb. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, spoiler alert! It's a lot. It's a lot. It doesn't resemble yeah. reality at all. <laughs> yeah. That's why, like, doing live shows is really fun, but is scary because I know how much we edit just our normal banter and conversation right mm -hmm. i think like a live show we've done them before not you and i but like brendan and i've done a few live shows and they are a little bit easier because you usually have like a panel or some guests that you can sort of lean on and you get like an energy in the room that you can feed off of but yeah no editing like if you say something dumb it's going oh well, i guess you can edit the <sighs> final audio but in person if you say something dumb yeah you gotta get, get one of those little men in black uh, flashlight yeah yeah, yeah. Things. you need one of the memory erasers <laughs> uh, if only all right uh speaking of listener questions we do have some yeah we got a couple a couple from two different people that are basically related well the people aren't related the questions are. <laughs> they could be related on some ancestral tree if you go back far enough yeah it's true i mean aren't we all related when you get right down to it yeah yeah at some point go back far enough kevin bacon you know <laughs> <laughs> all right uh this first question comes from m lamond i don't know their full name because this is their github handle m lamond asks could you go over the details of design documentation and developer handoff so my company uses Agsure, but I'm 
I've been researching other prototyping tools to see if they have a better output for developers. I believe you guys use Figma, but after a short tutorial, it doesn't look like that provides useful developer resources either, though I'm new to it, so maybe I'm just missing something. What does your designer developer handoff look like? What's the process you've found that works best for you and your developers? So yeah, developer handoff, Marshall. You've been a, a, around long enough to, I'm sure, tried many different things. And so... Are you calling me old? Uh, seasoned. <laughs> <laughs> like a fine wine. Uh, tell me about your your developer handoff. Yeah. So, I man, I have run the gauntlet of manual redlining. Uh, never again. Yeah. Never, ever again, my friend. Today, what, what we do today is I just give my engineers access to my source file and I let them hold command and, and option and measure everything. And uh, the important thing is for, for your engineers to understand the design system that you've got in place. So like what your, your basic, we, we've talked about this before, like your atomic units of measurement and stuff. If you're on a four-point grid or five-point grid, eight-point grid, whatever, as long as they understand that so that if you give them something with a 17-point a measurement, they can assume that you just messed up and it's supposed to be 16, not actually 17. So there are some translation things that you can mitigate there. But for the most part, yeah, just give them the file and let them, let them look at it and, and implement it as you designed it instead of giving them a flat mock that you then have to redline or like use some other program to, to do it automatically for you that's that's no fun doing manual redlines is about the worst thing yeah i feel bad because i'm going to give basically the same answer but i used to do the manual redlining then i did automated redlining with tools mm -hmm. and one of the more useful things that i did when i joined facebook i think was i just set up a workshop with my engineering team we all got in the same room I showed them how to open sketch, how to hover over layers, and then, yeah, command and option to measure the distance between things. And then also how to use the right side properties panel to just read. Here's where the font details are. And then here's like the code properties if you wanted to get a hex value or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did one of those sessions. And then after that, everyone just had access to my source sketch files. Nowadays, it's source Figma files. And yeah, when I'm working, the engineers that I work with, they're in there all the time. I see all their avatars and they're like poking around and, and getting measurements of things. Uh, the thing you said about just having communicated the sensible defaults of your design system feels the, like the key thing here because I think if you gave access to your source files, it might put a lot of pressure on you to be like, okay, well then if the source file isn't pixel perfect, then it will be implemented incorrectly. Mm -hmm. And so I think you have to balance that with like, here's the source file, but I'm also imperfect. I might make some mistakes. Yep. So if you see weird things like odd numbers or things slightly misaligned, like you could safely assume that's a mistake, round that 17 to a 16, et cetera. Um, we call those uh, mock bugs. What do you call them? Uh, do you have a word for it? I guess I've never had a name for them. Yeah, yeah. Mistakes. Right. I, I never had a name for it. It's just like I fucked up, right? <laughs> like I messed up. It's an inconsistency. But when I joined Google, I heard the term mock bug, and I've been using it ever since. I think it's such an engineer-centric term, but I like it. I mean, that the, that's the only way this works, right? Is like if you have a way to talk to the developers. Like, I don't know how this would work if you were working with contractors who you never met or like people that you never had a conversation with synchronously. Like, I think there is an element of being able to have a conversation about the mocks either at a once, once off meeting to kick off a project or like incrementally as the thing's getting built. Like, if you don't have the chance to talk to people, then this process might not be structured enough. Mm -hmm. 
uh, one thing you mentioned earlier was giving away for the engineer to check like a hex value or something like that. And something I would actually recommend is to have a design system that includes text styles and color styles and everything so that you don't ever have to actually look up a hex. You're, you're seeing what style they're using. So it's like gray three or you know, yeah, uh, yeah, light point. blue or yeah. whatever it happens to be. So that it, there's, it's not even like a hex value because if that hex value changes, they're, they're just referencing a semantic name that's part of your system with constants. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You should never have a hex value anyways these days, right? Yeah, no constants unless they are like the, the, the source of truth that everything is pulling from as a semantic name. Right, right. I found one interesting quirk to this, which was when we were building dark mode for the mobile apps, I think dark mode is a little bit less obvious on what should be which, or like which elements should have which elevation value, uh, which background color value. It shouldn't be a problem, because if you have semantic names, then you just have two different colors for each semantic name. You have like background whatever, background one, and that's this color in light and this color in dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think there are cases where in the same way that you can have a mock bug for a measurement, you could have a mock bug for a color value. True, true, true. And so, again, I think that comes to the like being able to have the conversation part. This would be uh, another example of having these like rules of thumb for how the design should be implemented, where if a layer that is higher in the Z-index stack has the same background color as the layer behind it, it's probably a mistake mm-hmm. in dark mode, right? Mm-hmm. Like in general, if there is a layer on top in the Z, or higher up in the Z index stack, it should have a brighter background color to indicate that it is more elevated. Yep, generally, yeah. But the biggest catch-all for this is communication, right? It's it's your ability to follow up after you've handed things off and and talk to your engineers, preferably, like you said, synchronously, so that you're actually not doing it over email. Maybe if you make a document, right? If you if there's if there's no way you can do anything but an asynchronous communication with your engineers, then thorough, thorough documentation uh, explaining things that aren't readily apparent just by holding option, right? Yeah. Uh, this listener question also had a few responses, which is cool. Like most of the issues on our design details repo are people just asking questions and then no conversation happens, but there's actually some comments here. So... Manny uh, mentioned that their company uses Sketch and Zeppelin for handoff. Yeah, Zeppelin's a really popular one. Yeah, uh, but we got a reply that says uh, only a few of our teammates have Macs, so we need cross-system tools. So that kind of eliminates the Sketch and Zeppelin handoff, which again, I think is why Figma is so compelling these days, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, this is probably a, a common issue, too, is, like, engineers are on fucking Linux or Windows, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, th- yeah, this is why Figma is so damn popular. It's because it doesn't matter. You can access it for, if you have a browser. That's all you need. It just runs in the browser, yeah. Uh, we also got another comment here from Raya Draws who asks, like, what does the developer handoff consist of, like, granularly? Is it... Is it just component positions on a page? Is it colors and fonts? Like, what are the specific things that you might call out when you're handing over a spec to a developer? Yeah, I think we covered some of that already, but uh, we were talking about this beforehand, and you mentioned something really interesting, which is maybe the more important thing to be really thorough about redlining is your components themselves, right? If, If most of your mocks are composed of smaller components that are, you know, masters that you're just putting different data in, then it's very important that that component is really well redlined and that uh, especially if your code base is built off of components, right? So you get those individual pieces right 
and then you don't have to worry about the engineer wondering what those measurements are on any given mock, right? Yeah, and to add on to that, I would even say, like, you could probably come up with a similar system of, like, here's how we, in general, handle error states and loading states. Mm -hmm. The component is documented to that level. So it has happy state, long text state, truncated error, loading, uh, small device, large device. Like mm -hmm. you have this sort of matrix of behaviors for the individual component. And then as long as that individual component is implemented correctly, then the developer handoff is yeah just showing how they stack on top of each other. Just plug them in. Um, I'm curious, so Marshall, how do you think about like all these different states that a screen could be in? Like, do you have individual mocks for lots of content, no content, error, loading, new user? Yeah, this is this is a really good question because I do my best to try to account for all of the different edge cases that I can think of, but I'm I am but one designer, Brian, and I, I'm only aware of so many ways that shit can break. And engineers are far more uh, well versed in that subject than I am. So usually, what, what happens almost without variation is I create a whole set of mocks, I hand them off to the engineers. And then a couple days later, as they start to implement it and like get into the weeds of it, they're like, uh, have you thought about this? How do you do this? And I have to go, uh-huh. Fuck. No, I haven't thought Shit. about that. Well, here's my, you know, gut reaction to how I would handle it. And sometimes we're like, oh yeah, cool, that makes sense. And sometimes they challenge you and you have to really think about it. And it's like, oh, I don't I don't know. Actually, how would we do that? This is a problem I've never considered. Fuck. You know, have you run into that before, Brian? All the time. And I guess, honestly, I used to be really scared of that process because I felt like it represented me being a bad designer. Like, oh my God, this is my job and I have people who it's not their job pointing out things that I've missed. Uh -huh. And I felt pretty bad about it. Mm -hmm. But my attitude towards it has changed quite a bit. And I've just found so many examples of things that I couldn't have known, like they, as you mentioned, they're like engineering specific constraints that I couldn't have known. And so it's because of this collaboration that the design will be good, not because the designer should know everything or the engineer has to know everything. It's like, it's because we're working together that we're going to come to the right solution. So I've embraced it as part of the process where I will miss things. And uh, conversely, I'm sure sometimes the engineers miss things and I get to point that out. And uh, it's that collaboration that is the key thing here. Yeah, exactly. I, I never feel bad about missing something. I do my best, right? I do as much due diligence as I can to provide everything I can, but I'm going to miss stuff. I know it's going to happen. It's fine. They, they don't hate me for it. It's just a conversation that needs to happen and a decision that needs to get made. Beyond that, there's really nothing wrong with it. I feel like part of the design process or the implementation process here that I don't like all that much is I feel like I get my most thoughtful stuff out of my head onto the page early on. And then when these things come up during implementation time, like, oh, well, how about this edge case? How about this scenario? What about if it's using, if this user's on low data? Like when we hit these little things, I feel much more reactive. Like I feel obligated to get them an answer as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And the risk of that is I give the wrong answer first and then we have to redo it. And that is what I'm most nervous about through that question answer process. Yeah. I, I think uh, a good point to make here is to be comfortable saying, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And then either go ask somebody who does know or who would be in a position to give you a solid answer. But like, 
I don't know is a good answer, right? Or at least a good temporary answer until you have a real answer. Don't feel like you need to give an answer just to give an answer because that way lies folly. I've made that mistake before. I'm like, oh, this is probably the way it should go. I won't think about it anymore. And then, you know, two months later, you're like, uh, we're running into this major bug here. We're blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, fuck. I probably should have talked to somebody. And you're like, oh, shit, I made the wrong decision. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you do that once and then you never do it again. So I am I have no qualms about admitting ignorance when it comes to a good answer for something. And I, I go talk to somebody who can help me either think through the process better and and come to a good conclusion or i'll go to maybe uh, the platform design team and be like uh, what should we do here in this case oh nobody's ever done it before okay let's work together to find a good solution that could work in any type of situation like this not just my niche one but yeah saying i don't know is okay well as we're saying that i realize like maybe that's so specific to just the fact that you and i work on products like i imagine somebody who's building for like an agency or a client maybe doesn't have that luxury because when you and I are building products, like we get this luxury of if the thing is wrong today, we can chip a fix for it tomorrow. And I don't know that everybody has that luxury. Like there are people who work on deliverables where it's like the deliverable is the thing. And then anything after that has to get renegotiated and rebuilt and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying that you should uh, give a bad answer. Actually, I'm saying that you specifically <laughs> should you should give no answer until you can give a good answer, right? Oh, okay. Which is a fire yeah. under your ass to get a good answer. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. But I'll also acknowledge that I do I do appreciate... I think this is why product work can be appealing to people. Is It can be appealing and unappealing for the exact same reason, which is that you have this opportunity to do incremental iteration over long periods of time. So the risk of getting a small detail wrong today not a big deal because you can fix it tomorrow. Uh, the downside of that is all of your work is just going to be slowly like shed and replaced over a long period of time so that over the course of five years, like you might not ever recognize any individual thing that you did. That's the job, man. That's the job. That's the job. Yeah. <laughs> Trade-offs abound. Yeah. Our work is like sand on a dune, you know? All we are is dust in the wind. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, okay, so so that was the first question, and, and I think that leads in nicely to a, a second question. This one comes from Eric Gendreau. Uh, he asks, what are some of the best practices for handing off interaction design specs to developers? While there are many tools that automate redlining for visual design, I have trouble documenting interaction design. Using keynote files is arduous when updating mocks and not very collaborative working across disciplines, but there is a single source of truth for the latest spec. Online design tools that provide commenting are great for sparking conversations and collaborating with developers, as well as ensuring the latest mocks are available to the devs, but the temporal nature of comments and the replacement of mockups may lead to lost specs. Yeah. So how do you move from like this mid-fidelity, like static mock or click-through prototype to like, here's how animations should work. Here's how things should grow and shift and bounce and haptic mm -hmm. as people are yeah. interacting with the thing. Yep. What do you think about that? I mean, there's a few different ways you could do this, right? You could prototype it, obviously. Um, that's a long, arduous process that, as Eric mentions, can be undone immediately with a single change to the UI. The other way you can do this is just by talking through it, right? Uh, and, and having a document that is available to everybody that clearly details using words what happens in different situations. Yeah. I feel like 
I don't work on anything complicated enough to really have a great answer here. So I think what you said rings true, but I also don't work on like deeply complex animation, video, photo editing, like Mm -hmm. things that would require, I work on like page transitions and like what happens when you (laughs) press on buttons and cards and scroll past things basically Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is like my library. But I feel like for each of those, we can still apply the same rules that we've already articulated, which is have a sense of system defaults Mm -hmm. that an engineer could lean back on. So for example, like when things animate into the screen, we follow this curve and timing. When they are leaving the screen, they follow this curve and timing. Mm -hmm. These types of things warrant a haptic. So having that sort of like rule set in place eliminates the need for you to have to prototype everything, which is uh, much more efficient. Yeah, documentation and uh, I think what what Brian said and what we mentioned on the previous question is like uh, systematization is is key in having a unified system that can apply to all sorts of different things that you just go uh, use pattern A or use pattern B, right? Yeah. You know, one thing I would cap this off with is I'm not saying that you should learn to code, but (laughs) in the same way that we've articulated that oh, we just show the engineers our source files and show them how to like click around and get variables and values from our Figma files. I think going the opposite direction for your engineers is also a valuable skill set. I've been doing that with my team and I think they appreciate it. Specifically, what I'll do is I'll just grab like the iOS code, open it in the simulator on my computer, and I can tweak padding values and type color values and font sizes and shit like that. And you could do the same thing here with interaction, right? Like if, you, if you're able to get an engineer to show you, here's where we define the curve, here's where we define the timing, then you should be able to just download that code, open the prototype on your phone or on your computer and tweak it yourself until it's exactly right. Like you can alleviate some of this communication burden by just learning their tools in the same way that we've expected them to learn our tools. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times the things you're changing there aren't necessarily logic. Like if they can get the broad strokes down, you can just change curves or properties, values, whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's the name of my game. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm totally an iOS developer. I changed the padding from six to eight. (laughs) Clickety, clickety, hacky, hacky. Look at me go. I'm such a hacksaw. Yeah. (laughs) Hacksaw supreme. But honestly, I feel like this is half of the argument that people are trying to communicate when they say should designers code. It's like, can you just have the ability to use a developer tool in the same way that we expect developers to be able to use a design tool or at least be able to poke through the basics enough that they can get what they need. Mm -hmm. Can you do the same? Can you poke through the basics to get what you need out of the design? Well, you know what they say, Brian, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Mm. I'm not sure if we're the goose or we're the gander, but either way, it's good for (laughs) us. So It's all part of a happy collaborative (laughs) process. Yeah, it's a two-way street. So... Cool. Hopefully that uh, answered your questions, Eric and M. <laughs> oh, Michelle. Michelle Lamont. Hey. Figured it out. Found uh, Michelle's website. A regular Sherlock over here. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Let's. Uh, this is going to be a relatively short show as, as Travel Boy is traveling. So um, in order to help him keep his schedule, schedule, schedule. we're going to move right on to the cool things. Brian, I have an app and... When did it come out? Did it just come out today? Today, six hours ago. Yeah, just today. Vine 2 is out. It's called Byte, and I'm here for it. I'm very excited. 
that there is a six second looping funny video platform back in existence and uh it's actually really designed well you've played around with it brian what do you think yeah i i don't know what to compare it to in like i know that this seems similar to what i know of tiktok but i've never used tiktok so i don't know i don't know how much here is innovative or is like following the pattern paradigm for scrolling full screen videos kind of like if i were to say like is instagram stories well designed but i'd never use snapchat it'd be like i think so but i don't know what is inherited from this pattern of stories do you know what i mean oh totally yeah and i i think there's kind of a core set of features that are universal between these types of things that share this pattern right like all stories have 80% of each other in common. Right, right. There's yeah. a lot of overlap, but it's in that 20% that you do something different that can make your product interesting. So I haven't used TikTok very much. I'm not into like teenagers lip syncing songs, but the, and this is kind of why I like Byte is it seems like the vine of old, the, you know, like six second comedy and funny little things. It's not, it's not somebody doing arm motions and, and lip syncing. That's not very interesting to me as a consumer, but seeing funny little skits, especially with the maniacal constraint of six seconds is really interesting to me. It's really well designed. I really like it. It hasn't made its way to my home screen yet. And we'll, we'll see how it does. It's, it's been alive for a day, but uh, so far it's nice and promising and it's just kind of cool to see vine live again in some form yeah the revival <laughs> the revival i the revival i've downloaded it uh can you follow people because i know you can have a username so i assume you can follow. yeah yeah uh do you want to say your username on the show it's marshall bach it's the same username i have on literally everything so gotcha okay well i'm following you i'm brian lovin on it i don't think i'll ever post anything here like i'm just gonna lurk the entire time but yeah. if you want to follow me go for it <laughs> Zero reason. I'll, I'll take the free worthless internet points, I guess. I live for those worthless internet points, Marshall. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's my cool thing. What's yours, Brian? All right. So this is a little bit of a follow-up pup. For my 2020 goals, I mentioned that I wanted to learn conversational Chinese. I am making headway. But after that episode, uh, I heard from Brandon Weiss, who mentioned uh, or recommended an app called HelloChinese.cc. So we threw that link in follow-up for the episode. Well, I've been trying it. I've been using it. I think, uh, I don't know, I'm like 10 days into it. And that's my cool thing. It's working well uh, as far as helping me ramp up and like learn shit. And it has a nice system for spaced repetition. So every day I open it and I do the review and it will review things more often if you've gotten them incorrect recently. And then if you've gotten it correct, it will like add more and more space in between each review cycle. So that in theory, like things that I know I won't review again for a couple months. Uh, you realize what you've done. What? I have to ask you to hit me with some Chinese now. You say it's working. Prove it. Uh, this is so fucking embarrassing. <laughs> I know. Anyone who speaks Chinese will be like, oh, this clown. <laughs> Uh, I could say, um, that's, I'm an American. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> or I'm American. Um, I could say, that means I like you. <laughs> uh, basically, I know how to say like a few foods. I know how to count to 10. And then I know how to combine numbers to like say 20 and 30 and onwards. 
I know how to say like mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. It's like the basic shit. But here's my goal. I want to be able to text in Chinese, which means you have to know how to type the pinyin, right? Yeah, yeah. But then you have to know which character corresponds to the pinyin. Mm -hmm. So I have my app settings to only be characters. So I'm like fucking memorizing the characters. And that has been the most brutal part. Like, yeah, you just have to make up fucking random stories in my head like there's characters where i'm like oh this one curve could be like a belly uh or it could be the word for to buy has two little lines and i'm like oh those two little lines represent somebody rushing through a grocery store like it, none of it fucking makes sense but you just have to come up with these little things to remember how characters map to words uh, i think duolingo does this where it tries to like you know it shows you the symbol for a tree and then it will superimpose a tree over that symbol so that it or like oh, okay it's like cloud watching right you're like oh yeah i guess i can kind of see that yeah 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 but if it's enough to help you remember that's that's what matters yeah yeah i could i bet i could identify like 12 characters um and i could probably speak maybe 30 words at this point but the way i think about it is i've been studying it for 10 days ish like maybe a little longer um and i know that many so if i study for 100 days i'll know 10 times as many in theory mm -hmm. and then in a year i'll be pretty fucking good <laughs> like that's gonna be a good amount of shit that i know how to say well, cool things, Brian. Let's let's get the hell out of here so you can go do your vacation stuff. I'm late. I'm late to a museum. All right. This has been episode 331. Hope you enjoyed listening. Let us know what you thought. As always, we're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Hit us with your tweets. You can send us a DM. But if you have a listener question, uh, be sure to open an issue on our repo. It's at github.com slash specfm. We have a Design Details repo, and uh, we'll use issues there to track open questions. So thank you to our question askers this week. If we miss anything, uh, of course, let us know. You can add more comments to those issues or just tweet at us. We appreciate it. If you want more podcasts, go to spec.fm. That's our parent network that has uh, lots of shows for designers and developers just like you. It's spec.fm. Uh, of course, if you are enjoying the show, there's a couple things you can do. The first is, of course, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash design details. For just a buck a month, you get access to a private RSS feed that gives you sponsor-free episodes and access to bonus land. Bonus land. Bonus, bonus land. Bonus land, bonus land. I think that's the only way it can be said out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, additionally, if you're enjoying the show and just want to tell us that you like it, you can rate us on iTunes. Those reviews help Apple know that you're listening to the show and helps Apple recommend us to more people so that the show will keep growing. So thank you, everyone who's reviewed the show so far. Otherwise, uh, that's it. We'll see you next week. Bye. So Michael says, thanks for tweaking chapters and mentioning me in the podcast. It made his day. So hey. Hey. yeah, and, and I asked if it was a satisfactory implementation. He said looking good, but he's still he'll still be watching. <laughs> Always watching. Yeah. Always watching. <laughs> You're not catching my reference? Nope. I'll just politely laugh. <laughs> What's the reference? Let me say I'll say the name. Always watching Wazowski.
Mike Wazowski from Monsters Incorporated? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Roz, the, the slug lady behind the, yeah, the teller yeah, window. Yeah. I just haven't seen that movie in forever. It doesn't matter. It's it's evergreen, Brian. <laughs> Uh, it's evergreen that you are now the slug lady, Michael. <laughs> Roz.